You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Guys, this is the Talking the Draft podcast. I'm your host Connor Lively, joined by my co-host tonight, uh, Joey Ikes, and we have a little bit of combine review that we want to do. Um, had a you know really impressive week uh, from a lot of these guys down in Indianapolis. Some guys we want to touch on that impressed. Some guys that we want to touch on that maybe did not. Um, but before we do that, uh, Tony Pot. This is couple days old, but Tony Pollard uh, was officially franchise tagged by the Dallas Cowboys. Still have time to work out a long-term deal if they would like to. Um, but obviously that's going to have an effect on the draft plan and strategy more than likely. We're going to touch on that first and then get into some of this combine stuff. But before we do, Joey, how you doing? I'm pretty good, man. It's uh, We're getting ready to get into the Fast and the Furious part of this thing where we roll through. We just rolled through the combine. We're going to hit free agency here in the next week or so, and then we're going to get to the draft. You know, it's going to feel like the draft's going to come flying at us here in a couple months. So um, it's going to be fun to watch this team get built over the course of the next couple months and uh, and see how it all leads and builds up to uh, to the draft in Kansas City. Yeah, and, and like I said, starting we'll start there with Tony Pollard because there's been a lot of discussion about the running back room, the running backs in this draft. Um what the running backs on this team are going to look like going into 2023. Um, I think me and you are kind of on the same page from what I can tell regarding the franchise tag of Tony Pollard. Like, I think we all understand that Tony Pollard, really good player, explosive player, but it's just not, no matter how good that player is, when you hand that guy a big contract, and, and it's not a big contract, I should say, when you hand that guy big money, things tend to go south pretty quick. Um, and Tony Pollard coming off uh, fibula injury, I want to say it was, right? And it's just – I believe so, yeah. It's – the risk does not outweigh the reward there, I'll say. And, again, it is one year, but it is 10-plus million guaranteed. So that's not getting broken down like in a regular contract for people who don't understand, you know, in a four-year – you know, $120 million deal, you get a certain amount of guarantees. That franchise tag is 100% guaranteed. Um, and that means he's getting all of that 10 million. Uh, it's a little over 10 million um, in the 2023 cap hit. And for a team that complains about salary cap all the time, it's just, it's interesting to see them continue to invest a lot and a lot of guaranteed money in that running back position. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it sort of goes back to, I tweeted about this the other day, is that we hear the, the Joneses talk about how when you have a quarterback on a big contract, 
you it limits you a little bit in what you want to do from a team building standpoint. You can't put the same supporting cast around him. And every time they say something like that, you know, the collective we as a, a, a Twitter fan base, fan analyst group sort of say, you know, all jump into an uproar about how, you know, yes, you can if you don't pay the running back $16 million or you don't pay another running back $10 million right. or a tight right. end $11 million or things like that. Receiver. And <laughs> yeah, ex- uh, yeah, <laughs> receiver $13 million a right. year or something like that. But um, and, and what it really, I think, comes down to is that the Joneses are comfortable paying running backs that much money because they can see the quarterback turn around and hand the ball to the running back a bunch of times and say, Hey, we're paying for that. Hey, we're paying for that. We're paying for that. They don't necessarily see the value and Hey, let's go pay a speed receiver who might catch three balls a game. Right. But those balls are going to be massively impactful. They don't, they can't see that as concretely. And despite the fact that we know the the uh, the Cowboys have one of the most robust analytics departments in the league, we know that we you know their team there are places that track that, and they do a very good job on the draft front using analytics. Uh, they they haven't seemed to be, be able to find a way to communicate the lack of value in the running back position to the front office. And I mean, at this point, and you know they're going to do something with Ezekiel Elliott. They're going to, but right hey, now if they a, don't. Somebody should do – I mean, it's not going to happen, but, like, that's like – we say this all the time, but that's a fireable offense. If they go into the season yes, with $26 million guaranteed wrapped up in the running back position, like, somebody should be fired. <laughs> yes. Two, two of their top seven running – or two of their top seven cap hits in 2023 are running backs. And, yes, they're going to restructure uh, Dak Prescott's contract, that doesn't matter. He will still be right. one of the seven. They will still be one of the seven biggest contract hits. Like that's it's terrible roster management to build it that way. And even if they cut Zeke, he will still be one of their seven or one of their eleven biggest cap hits. And one of their other eleven is Lyle Collins, who's going to cost eight million dollars <laughs> in dead money against the cap this year. And now you can look back hindsight and say, hey, maybe moving on from Lyell was the right call. He wasn't very healthy. Still was really good, all that kind of stuff. But still, you're now carrying two running backs and a right tackle who aren't on your team. And if you cut Ezekiel Elliott to get down to that cap number, you're now carrying a running back who's not on your team and an offensive tackle who's not on your team in your top 10 or 11 cap hits. And there's another running back in that, in that, that top 10 still. It's just... It's just really bad roster and resource management. And to wind it back to the draft, it absolutely has to change the way you approach the draft. Like you can no longer even consider drafting a running back in the first two days of the draft, much less. I mean, you may not even want to consider it in the fourth round or maybe even it's it's almost got to be an afterthought in the, in the draft at this point, which is unfortunate because we just had a whole show about how easy it would be to find right. one. Who could, who could come in and carry the load a bunch of times over the course of a season. Yeah, in, like, I guess to, like, put a bow on the the topic, you know, like I said, like, I feel like we kind of express the way we feel about that. And, again, like, none of, we're not saying, like, we don't like Tony Pollard. We're not saying – we're, we're re- realistically not saying we don't hate the idea of franchise, franchise tagging Tony Pollard. We're saying that with 
this draft class with the ability to easily add a young, cheap running back and what you already have wrapped up in the running back position, it really just doesn't make a ton of sense. Like, you know, if Ezekiel Elliott was a free agent and this running back class stunk, we'd probably be like, okay, fine. Let's, you know, let's bring back an explosive offensive weapon for a year, you know, not lock into him long-term and then we'll fix this next year. But the fact that they have Zeke still on their contract that could, they could rework the deal. I mean, and, and people kept saying this, like, oh, what do you want to go into the season with Malik Davis as your only running back? And like, by no means, like, Am I saying yes, but like Malik Davis showed to be a pretty quality player last year in his rookie year. Like there's worse things than I think going into year two of Malik Davis being your, you know, second running back on your roster. If you added a, you know, Devin A-Chain in the second or third round, like there, there's, there's, there would be nothing wrong with that. I know that sounds crazy to some people, but I just think that's the case of the position and the case of how easy it is to find guys that can replicate, you know, those, 12, 13, you know, 100-yard seasons when they're when they're on. I mean, we see it guys with all the time. And and even if you even if you were to theoretically let Tony Pollard walk and the the thought is, why would you go into a season with Malik Davis? You don't have to. I mean, I'm going to read seven free agent names right. just off the top of the list in terms of current average per year or just from the the top of the list that um, that over the cap has for their running backs that are currently not signed or tagged. Kareem Hunt, pretty good running back. You bring him here. Now there's some baggage there, but they have shown a, a willingness to accept that in a lot of sure. situations. Rashad Penny, former first-round pick. Jamal Williams, he could come in here and be what Zeke has been for the last few years. Raheem Mostert, Dante Foreman, Boston Scott, Miles Sanders, Gio Bernard. Jarek McKinnon could be a very good Tony Pollard after taxes type of player. Like there are, I mean, I just read five or six of them, just cherry picking them off. And none of those guys is going to make half of what Tony Pollard just got paid this year. So there's always alternatives at the running back position. You should almost never consider yourself forced or locked in to picking one high in the draft or paying one a lot of money because there's just plain too many of them for the number of running back position, running back spots there are in the league. Yep, no doubt. Um, so we kind of mentioned what that's going to do to the running back draft strategy. Um, it's just tough to imagine them spending a top 100 pick on a running back. Even, you know, I know they got some picks early in the fourth round. You know, I think even spending, a, you know, first, second, third, fourth, even one of those early fifth-round pick draft. I mean, I, I think you're really looking at pushing this thing back and going, yeah, if we get a, you know, Keontae Mitchell available in the fifth, late fifth, something like that, where we can add another, you know, explosive guy that might just be undersized or whatever that is, like, we'll do that. But it's just, with all the other issues and holes on this team, it's just it, – it really takes you out of kind of the – and again, we we never really wanted to spend a first round pick on running back, but it takes you out of your first first round, second, third, and fourth, and even possibly fifth round options because you have so many other holes um, and so much money wrapped up in that position now. So that takes you out of some really good players that we feel like you could have had for you know a million dollars a year on the third or fourth round, and probably come in and maybe even giving you more than what. I mean, I'm not again like. Pollard's coming off an injury. We just saw Michael Gallup come off an injury. I'm not t- trying to, you know, be the, be the, you know, 
person with all the bad news and all the negative stuff, but it's just, there's, there's a, there's a realistic opportunity that, you know, Tony Pollard could come out in 2023 and not look himself. Um, yes, absolutely. And for I mean, a player who just depends so much, much, yep. So for I a player think, who depends so much on speed, that's such right. a great point is that like, if he comes back and that leg is not perfectly right, which it's a broken bone if it was relatively clean and all that kind of stuff. It's, you know, six, eight weeks of recovery and then you're back to, you know, training and all that kind of stuff. But if it if it's not clean, then you're you're running into it. And they have more information on that than we do, right. clearly. It's it's been, you know, three months since he did since he hurt the thing. So they're gonna know, or two months since he hurt it. They're gonna know where he's at. They expect him back for training camp, but if he loses if he loses one step speed wise, he was already a four five guy. Like we think right. of him as some guy that was running away from dudes. He was already a four five two or something like that. He was 40. explosive, not fast. Yes, exactly. Like if he loses a step in that explosiveness and it takes away some long speed too, now he's not that different from Zeke, but he weighs fifteen or twenty pounds less than Zeke and is not gonna take the beating the same way that Zeke has taken it. So you're you're now running into a that's a it's a really big risk that they just they cannot possibly have the answer for right now and they just paid ten point one million dollars to find out the answer. And I'm honestly shocked that this is the case because we're coming off like it's happened three years in a row now the Dak injury where he you know obviously these injuries are all different all different scenarios but Dak come off lower body injury that year back definitely some rough patches there where it kind of you felt like from a athleticism, from a explosiveness standpoint, didn't look the same. Michael Gallup last year and now Tony Potts. So you almost, I mean, we, we always say that teams kind of learn their lessons when they make mistakes, but they just don't. <laughs> yeah. Not, and, not this and again, like, yeah. I'm not trying to be the bearer of bad news because Tony Pollard would come out next year and be great. Like he could be fantastic and we'll be like, okay, you know, that $10 million was absolutely worth it. You know, they don't have explosive players on offense. He was that and continues to be that. Um, but I think that it's important for a team that does seem to make a lot of the same mistakes year in and year out that we bring up that this is a very high, you know, chance that things don't go that way. So, yep, absolutely. Draft hurt players, sign hurt players, tag hurt players. That's yep. the uh, that's the mo of the organization for sure. Yep. All right, so let's get into the combine. Um, we talked a lot about the combine before the combine, so I feel like it's. The week after the combine, we should come in and talk about some of these guys that had really good days, some guys that maybe disappointed a little bit. Um, I want to start with a guy that we talked about a couple weeks ago, and that is Maryland cornerback Deontay Banks, um, who the time we recorded a couple weeks ago, I'd kind of mentioned like, man, I really love everything on tape, but I'm not sure how good or how elite of an athlete he'll be. And he punched me square in the middle of the nose because he posted a 4-3-5-40, a 1-4-9, 10-yard split, a 42-inch vertical, and 11-4 broad jump, which puts him at a 98% athletic score um, and at six foot, 197 pounds with just under 32-inch arms. I think he had one of the best days of any player in Indianapolis last week. <laughs> oh, yes, for sure, for sure. Uh, he's to, to be honest, he's up there pretty high in the the best days in Indianapolis maybe ever you know so like you you can so Ken Lee Platt um at math bomb on Twitter has a the relative athletics we're all familiar with it by now if you're in this part of football Twitter um 
And so he puts together this sort of composite athletic score. And on his website, you can filter by position, and he's got it going back to like 1987. Deontay Banks posted the fourth highest relative athletic score, which takes into account size, explosiveness, agility, speed, all that kind of stuff. The fourth highest relative athletic score of a cornerback since 1987. The other two... Yeah, the two of the three ahead of him are Byron Jones and J.C. Horn, one of which the Cowboys drafted, the other of which the Cowboys were significantly interested in trying to draft. The The other one is Zion McCollum, who came out last year out of Sam Houston State. So we are talking about some freaky, freaky athleticism here. And, and I, I texted you right after he tested, and I said, well, I think we got our answer on Deontay Banks, they definitely were not playing him off because he is because he's not athletic enough to be able to handle playing press. Um, and you add that to thirty-one and three-eighths inch arms, six-one or six-foot, two hundred pounds, basically, like just a big, freakishly athletic, one of the most athletic corners in the draft in almost thirty years, or in actually nineteen eighty-seven in thirty-five years as somebody who's thirty-five years old. So. A, a long time, and he's one of the most athletic guys ever. That definitely, it solidifies, you know, those questions that we had when we were doing our mock draft last week, right? We're sitting there looking at Deontay Banks at 26 and then again at 29, and we're saying, well, we don't have the athletic testing yet, but we've got a, we've got a few questions about him that we don't know if we can answer until we get that athletic testing. I think we got our answer, and I think yeah. if you get to 26 or 29 now – and Deontay Banks is still on the board, um, you got to feel really good about taking that kind of athlete and putting him on the field on a defense full of freakish athletes, which is what they're building here. They're building a, one of those – there's there's banshee defenses and there's butt-kicker defenses, and this one is a banshee defense, and that's another tall, long, big corner who can freaking fly, and that's exactly what they like. So I'm going to take it a little bit – kind of the same subject, but kind of the opposite end of that spectrum. Jalen Hyatt, I know that was a, for me, I caught some heat on Twitter because I kind of said, like, I thought his day was kind of disappointing. I mean, again, I'm I'm still well aware admitting that 4-4 is really fast. Like, I'm not saying it's not. My biggest issue with him was when you're six foot, you're sub 180 and all your tape shows is that you're really fast, which is, he. I mean, again, like I'm not saying he's not, but I'm saying we kind of expected that time to be like high four twos, low four threes. And when it was four, four, and I think his second time was like a four, four, six or something um, kind of just made me going back to the Deontay Banks thing, like concerned when the guy hasn't dealt with press coverages, when he hasn't really shown any feel for varying that speed or his routes you're really betting on him to be faster than everybody he plays against. And he hasn't really had to deal with guys up in his face at the line of scrimmage, kind of giving him not free releases to really get the runway started. And I think that that four, four speed, while it's nothing to like shake a stick at kind of makes you go, okay, let's go back to the tape and see, okay, is he faster than everybody? Or is he just getting that runway up and going that you think is going to be taken away at the next level? And with that frame, with that not elite speed, does that give you more concerns with him than maybe last week? Yeah, the thing with Hyatt that's interesting is it and it goes back to it seemed like all the wide receivers ran slower mm-hmm. than we felt like, which is which is odd in a where you know 
you know and you hear, you know, Indianapolis added the new turf last year. And so 2021 and 20, or excuse me, 2022 and 2023 are the fastest combines ever. And how much of that is the athletes and how much of that is the, you know, the new track. And then the wide receivers come out and you're expecting to see guys like him and Tyler Scott and some of these other guys run incredibly well. You know, they run okay. They run well. Like they run fast, but it's not like they don't blow you away fast the way that you right. might expect them to. Um, but I mean, he's still, uh, according to to relative athletic score, has an elite speed score. So he's not a, a four two guy, but he has an elite speed, you know, one five ten yard split. So he gets off of it. Right. And he also had an elite explosion score, forty inch vertical over eleven foot broad jump. Like he can go. But it goes back to, I mean, at 176, like at six foot 176, that's like tight. That's really, really small, rail thin. And that's a, uh, and maybe he lost some weight to try to run extra fast. And he comes in at his pro day and runs and weighs in at 183 or something like that and takes some of the concern away. But like you were talking about, when you take this, which is the way you're supposed to do it, take this athleticism take it back to the tape and say, okay, how does this apply or change or morph what we saw on the tape? And we saw a guy who ran by everybody in the SEC, which is, you know, a big deal. Mm-hmm. And, but never really saw a, a ton of press because of the way he was used in that offense, which we talked about when we talked about the wide receivers. And so now you, you do have to go back and reconcile, Hey, this is a small guy, thin at least, who did not run, you know, overwhelmingly fast. He ran fast, but right. not overwhelmingly like game-changing speed. Yes, right. not eye-popping fast. Yes. And but that was his whole game was eye-popping right. down this build speed. And so now you've got to go back and you've got to reconcile that and that's that's the work that, you know, if you're stacking a big board like I know you do and like these teams do, you got to go back and do that and factor all that in into how does this how do we reconcile these things into figuring out what the value is for this player as we go into the draft at the end of April? Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. And I guess my argument for it, and I'm not trying to say like I'm arguing against him as a player, because I, I do like his, like I, I think he brings a dynamic to an offense that everybody needs, and you want that and like that. But I think when you look at it, you know, you go, that guy's being talked about, about about like falling into the top 20 picks. Like there's conversation of him being like, could he be the first wide receiver drafted because of how fast he is? Solely that, like 
It wasn't even about his routes. It wasn't about his ball skills. It was, he's going to run so fast that he's going to be the first wide receiver drafted. And when you take that, like you said, like that eye popping speed kind of out of the equation, um, to me, it just, it, it diminishes that value a little bit because you're not getting a guy who's an elite route runner, a guy who has just silky smooth hands. It catches everything that is explosive in and out of his releases to create that late separation. Um, and I think like, that's where my conversation, you know, cause somebody on Twitter was like, well, you still like Tyler Scott and he didn't run as fast. And I was like, yeah, but you see the guy run routes. You see the guy, you know, be pretty, pretty damn good after the catch. You don't just see him running a straight line and catch the football, which again, like I said, there's a, there's a dynamic of that. that that's very, very valuable. Um, but I just, I, I think when, when, like you kind of said, like, that's the one thing that you really, really look at and rely on. It, it does, I think, diminish his value a, a tad, but I still think you're still talking about a guy who should be drafted somewhere in that, you know, where he may have been projected at a month ago, you know, where you could get him at 58, 59, 60. Like, that's where I take the guy who really his one NFL-ready trait is his speed. It might not be that elite speed, but it's still there. Let's take him in the second round. But it's hard to envision me considering him in that first-round range when there's so many other questions about his game and size. Right. This is not this is not Henry Ruggs. This is not right. Jalen Waddle. This is not Jamison Williams, who, you know, all, all happen to go to Alabama. But that's a, you know, beside the point. This is not the guy with the overwhelming eye popping speed that causes you to take him in the top ten or fifteen picks, even though he may have some shortcomings in other areas of his game. Um he's got speed, but it's not four two nine, four three, two, right. whatever speed. It's four four. He's fast, but there is that tenth of a second difference when you're talking about running against a uh, cornerback down the field or running across the field or something like that it makes a difference. And these teams will take that into account for sure. And I think I think you have it nailed in terms of where the value is. I think it winds up back where it was before we all sort of started to push him up a little bit because of that speed. Uh, we're gonna we're kind of running out of time here, so we're gonna go a little bit of rapid fire here. I want to give. We'll both list two guys that impressed us and two guys that maybe, again, we kind of were, um, you know, a little disappointed in. I'll start just to kind of give you times because we didn't plan this. But um, I thought from the impressive standpoint, I thought, like you said, the wide receivers kind of had some rough days. I thought Marvin Mims helped himself a lot. Um, he ran a 4-3-8. You know, he's coming out of Oklahoma. Um Kind of fits the bill with a lot of these guys. A little undersized, right under six foot at 5'11", 183 pounds. But he was a 4'3", runner, a 1'5", 10-yard split, 39.5-inch vertical, 10'9", broad jump, 6'9", three cones. So that kind of showed you that he can he can change the directions well. He can run fast. He can be explosive, you know, after the catch and uh, as, a, as a pass catcher. Um, so I thought he helped himself. Um, and then it's hard for me not to mention – Nolan Smith, um, we talked about him a little bit last week in our mock draft where it was like, man, are we not, you know, is that a guy we're just kind of overthinking because of what they look like at the position? But, I mean, what a day from Nolan Smith, you know, weighed in 6'2", 238 pounds. We knew he was on the smaller end of the spectrum, but he doesn't necessarily play small. One of the better run defending edges in this class, and I think at that size, um, that's something you always love to see, but a four, three, nine, 40, a one, five, two, 10 yard split a 41 and a half inch vertical and a 10, eight broad jump. And, and that's on tape. I mean, you see how explosive he is and there's a little bit of Trayvon Walker there with him, you know, obviously not the physical size, but just like 
you know, the production really wasn't there at Georgia only, you know, the production score is not going to be great. But when you look at his traits, you look at his athleticism, you look at his explosiveness, you bet on those traits at that position. And I think Nolan Smith, I mean, you know, he was kind of like a 50-50 discussion point at at 26 there for the Cowboys. And I think he's kind of worked himself out of that conversation. He'll probably be, in my opinion, he'll probably go, you know, top 18 or so in this draft. And um, which again has a chance to push one of these receivers, maybe more of a position of need down the board. But I think that he probably worked himself into that top 15 to 20 picks with his uh, combine workout. Yeah. I think he put, he pushed himself up into that early teens group that, you know, once you, there's not, you know, once you get past the quarterbacks in the first couple of elite defenders, um, who are those next couple of, who are the, that next tier of guys that are going to go off the board? And when you post athletic testing like he did, um, you give your at a te- at a position where the athleticism and the testing numbers matter. Um, you give yourself a chance to be up there. Yeah. Um, I've got a couple of guys. Um, one is uh, is Jonathan Mingo, the wide receiver from Ole Miss, big who dude. ran well. Yeah, big dude. And that's that's part of what's interesting is you know as you go through these PFF mock draft exercises and it starts to give you an idea of how the draft is going to flow. Um, you know, we saw Michael Wilson fall a bunch of times. And another name that you see a lot of times in that second day, early third day range in there as a wide receiver is Jonathan Mingo. And, you know, you see almost 6'2", 220 pounds. You're like, hey, this guy fits the way the Cowboys want to play wide receiver. And then he goes out and runs a 4-4-6 with a 1-5-4, 10-yard split, jumps almost 40 in the vertical and over 10 in the in the vert. And you're like, you know, that's a big dude. Who is moving? And that is that was he he posted one of the best relative athletic scores in the in the class this year. Uh, as a guy who is you know like we said a relatively a, a lower thought of player in terms of in terms of the grading and all that stuff coming into this, that if you're going to bet on a wide receiver in the you know middle rounds of the draft you may as well bet on a big dude who's a freak athlete and that's you know Jonathan Mingo is one of the top you know 10 or 11 athletes in the class according to the relative athletic score another guy's a little bit of a pet cat of myself and a few friends of mine and that's Jack Campbell the linebacker from Iowa and in a world where you know Fred Warner is a legitimate difference maker at the linebacker position he legitimately changes the underneath way, the way that San Francisco plays defense. And there are going to be teams that are going to be hunting that guy because of that. And Jack Campbell comes out from Iowa. He's a linebacker, 6045, so almost 6'5, 249 pounds, runs 465, so good, but not great long speed. But the 10 yard split, 10 yard split at 159 is elite. The shuttle and three cone numbers are elite. The shuttle is 424. And the three cone is sub six. It's sub six seven five point or six point seven four. That's like wide receiver level, three cone level numbers. Um, and then the jumps are really good too. Thirty seven and a half inches, and almost ten foot and one inch. And at six foot four or six five two fifty basically. So just a big dude who can flat out move. And on tape, you see him cover like a maniac. He's incredible in underneath zone coverage. And that is really the trait that you feel like, all right, he's big enough to play the run. You know he can play the run because he plays in the Big Ten, so he has to. And we've seen him play really high-level coverage. And now he's shown that the athleticism translates. 
And that is going to make him one of those super valuable. I think Fred Warner went in the third round. A lot of these really high-level linebackers wind up going in the second round and playing really, really well. And um, I think that I think Jack Campbell firmly put himself in that conversation this week where he may have been sort of on the verge of that before. You put up testing numbers like that, and you're going to wind up firmly in that conversation for sure. All right, you might get mad at me for this one, and I'm not saying he had a bad day, but uh, I guess a guy that I got really concerned with about where he was ranked and then where he might end up for me after I kind of go back through and look at some things is Mississippi State corner Emmanuel Forbes. That weight has me terrified. Oh, man. Yes. yes. And, <laughs> I, I, I did that. I guess for me, like, I knew he wasn't a thickly built dude on tape. Like, when you watch him, like, you can tell he's thinner. But I would have said 185. Like, yeah. I would have said, oh, this guy's definitely bigger than Zay Flowers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, man, I, like, I, I, I go back to it and I have that discussion of did he drop weight to run fast? Because he ran well, he tested well. But if yes. you're only testing well because you're 20 pounds lighter than what you're going to play at, you're not actually that athlete because you're not going to play at 166 pounds. And if you are, I don't care how athletic you are, you're probably not going to survive against the Mike Williamses of the world and the those type of receivers. So I don't know. That one's tough for me because I don't think he's going to play at 166 pounds. So I don't I hate to drop him so much of the way he weighed in at. I'm really interested for his pro day because I, I doubt he'll test it as pro day. Um, I would I would doubt he would test it as pro day after what he did at the combine. So I could see him weighing in at six one, you know, one seventy five, one eighty, and then I can go okay. He put on you know ten to twelve pounds in a couple weeks, a month or so. Um, so the athletic testing probably went down a little bit, but. Man, if he weighs in at you know 170 pounds at his pro day and test and the testing is the same, it's just for me that's that's gotta that's gonna be that's gonna be a tough one. He's got, I mean, he's got great tape. He's got the height. He's got the arm length. He's got the athletic testing. But 166 pound corners don't play in the NFL. Yeah, especially when you're if you look at it from a Dallas perspective, you have a corner on one side who's not ultra right. interested in playing the run at this point in his career early in his career he was super physical but now you know he's you know he understands the value of where he's playing and right. what he's get paid what he's going to get paid to do and all that if you throw a 166 pound corner on the other side you're going to get <laughs> pin and pull swept to death they're, <clears throat> they're just going to make both your corners tackle over and over and over again so like you said he almost has to be able to pack on you know 9 10 12 pounds during the time between the combine and Mississippi State's pro day and then not test and just hope teams will say, you know, he lost weight because he wasn't feeling well, whatever, what, you know, let his agent spin it a little bit as to why he weighed so light. Um, And then obviously you wouldn't retest because why would you retest after the numbers that he put up? Um, And then just hope that the teams are able to overlook it and say, you know what, we can have, we can hold this, 10, 15 good pounds on him. The ball production is unbelievable right. and everything else about him looks fantastic. We we feel like we can put 10 to 15 pounds on him. He could still be a really good athlete, even if he's not a, a extremely high level athlete, he can be a really good athlete. The ball production's there and that'll still work and that'll still get him drafted relatively high. 
but uh, but definitely definitely a concern, like a, a red flag that literally pops red on you know the relative athletic scores and all the other sort of graphics that you have for this stuff. Uh, the size is for sure a concern. Yeah. Uh, again, that was a guy that we had talked about a lot of like, man, like, could he be a trade up option in the second round? Could he even be in consideration possibly as a trade back or even maybe make his way into consideration as a 20, you know, 20 first round pick. So uh, last guy that I thought just did not help himself whatsoever was Kashan Butte, the LSU wide receiver um, had a lot of questions coming in about just overall character, work ethic, you know, leadership. He, his RA, his relative athletic score um, is a four, eight on, you know, obviously that's an unofficial number, but he tested in, Poor in the size standpoint, poor in the explosion grade, good in the speed grade, and he did not qualify for the agility grade because he didn't run a three cone. But I mean, just to give you kind of a point, he his his he weighed in at five, just over five eleven, one hundred ninety five pounds. His vertical was twenty nine inches, which is not good whatsoever from a receiver, especially a receiver that kind of fits that size. Um, his broad jump was a nine ten. Um, his forty, which he he again remember he he graded out as a good composite speed grade. His forty was a four five one, which I mean isn't compared to what we kind of see. It's not very good nowadays, especially when you're under six foot and under two hundred pounds. And his right, you yards, have, when you have tight ends running in the low four sixes right. and things like that, uh, a small wide receiver running in the four fives is not great. Yep. Yeah, so not a good day from the LSU wide receiver, and he was a guy who probably needed a really good day because it doesn't sound like the NFL is very high on him to start because of some of the off-the-field and character stuff. Yep, I think it's uh, it's definitely one of those things that these guys can go to the combine and they can help themselves, like a lot of the conversations we've had today, but they also have that opportunity to go in there and um, miss an opportunity to help themselves. Yeah, especially if you're a guy who goes in with questions about size or goes in with questions about character or things like that. And we don't know how the interviews behind the scenes went. We don't know how any of that went. Um, But a lot of these guys look at this stuff as a preparation test at this point. Like, are you putting in the work to prepare for this? Right. Um, Because if you are, you're going to put up pretty good numbers. And who knows what Keyshawn has been doing in terms of training and preparation. Um but he's going to probably have to answer those questions, especially if he goes out and runs way better at his pro day or something like that, which I'm sure he will. Right. No doubt. You got anybody you want to close out with? Uh, no, I think we covered a, a pretty good number of guys. And the we'll, once we get through free agency over the course of the next week and we see the Cowboys didn't do anything, then we'll really be able to uh, really be able to nail down exactly what their approach will probably be in the drafts. And as we get closer – um, we've we've both been doing this long enough. We get pretty good at sort of figuring out where their approach is going to be. We will almost always wind up spending a pretty decent amount of time in the two or three weeks leading up to the draft on the guy they wind up picking in the first round, just because they yeah. they, they they don't hide their intentions all that well early in the draft. I do want to give a shout out to uh, the Northwestern defensive end at Atuamia. I think I did that somewhat close, and then Yaya Diaby, the uh, Louisville DN. Both of those guys. Um, had really good testing days. Um, Adam Obare is probably a guy who, I mean, I, I don't think he's going to go in the first round, but, I mean, if we talk about a dude who we've talked about this relative athletic score, he might be one of the top scorers in that ever from that position too at 6'2", 
282 pounds, almost 34-inch arms. He ran a 4.49, a 1.61, 10-yard split, a 37.5-inch vertical, and a 10.5 broad jump. Um, dude just tested really, really well for a bigger guy. Um, and then Diaby's a guy to Louisville who I kind of pegged as like every time I would do one of these mock drafts, I'd take him in the sixth or seventh round for the Cowboys because he's a 6'3", 260 to 270-pound defensive end with 34-inch arms. Um, just kind of fits their mold as the big, long, you know, think of what they did with like Chauncey Golston a few years ago. Um, kind of fits that play type, but he came in and ran a 4'5", 140, a uh, one five six ten yard split, a thirty seven inch vertical, and a ten year uh ten foot broad jump. Um, so he had a really nice day too, which I know he he doesn't get a lot of talk. Um, but he's a guy that I I watched early on in the draft process at Louisville, liked him, and then he tested well and weighed in well, and I think he really helped himself too. Those just two guys that I kind of wanted to give shout outs to because of how well they did test at their uh, respective sizes. Yep, absolutely. And the guy who who sort of got the headlines early that sort of got overlooked once we got to the quarterbacks and receivers and things like that. And part of this is he didn't do the other testing. So his uh, athletic score isn't showing up quite as high as Kalijah Kansi, who had a big day in terms of weighed in over 280, came in over six feet, which were the two big things for him, and then ran one of the fastest 40s by anybody over 280 pounds in the history of the NFL draft. And so... Um, he's of course going to draw comparisons to Aaron Donald. I don't think he's an Aaron Donald level player um, at this point, but we talked yesterday or last week when we were doing our mock draft about how he was sort of the guy we were hoping would, would slide to 26 because he would be a great fit and a great pick. Um, I don't know that there's very much likelihood that that happens at this point, but if it does, it's sort of the same situation with Deontay Banks is that most of the big questions that you had about him that might make you pause at 26 are gone. Now you can just, you know, toss that card in as soon as it comes up and let's move on to the second round if he's there. And I know a lot – just to close it, I know we we both got to run, but I know that a lot of people have issues with his run defense and his run support stuff. He was playing nose tackle for Pittsburgh at 280 pounds a lot. And I just think, while I don't consider him like a good, maybe, you know, I don't – I think I almost look at him as like, hey, in his role that he's projected and he might be a – average to below average run defender but that's not one that's not what you're drafting him for and two, watch the the running plays that he gets washed out of and he's head up over the center I don't think you're going to line him head up over the center much uh in the NFL that could be playing yeah, and he, one gapping he, three he, technique just <laughs> get up the field. absolutely and I mean even if you look at you know take PFF's grades for what you want but he was in you know the top 25 percentile of defensive tackles in run defense grade in 2022 in college football. Like he was not a poor run defender, even if there are concerns that his size might cause him to be, to struggle against the run in the NFL, which, you know, may or may not wind up proving to be legitimate. Yeah. I just, like I said, you'll see some clips. I saw a bunch of clips on Twitter and stuff after the combine being like, draft this guy early if you want to. And it's like, well, cool. I'm not drafting him to have one sack and seven tackles for loss or, you know, run stops. Like I'm drafting him to get me eight sacks and two tackles for loss, but they're big plays, you know, in the backfield to blow up a running back. So yeah, just again, it's still after all these years, we still don't do this job the way we should. as far as like taking guys, what they do and projecting them and what they're going to do in the NFL. That's the hardest thing for people to, I think, not that I'm great at it or we're great at it or whatever, but like that's the hardest thing to learn is what you see on tape in college 
isn't always what that player is going to do, be, or turn into in the NFL. You have to project. You have to be able to look at this guy and go, what can he do two years, three years from now in the right scheme, the right system with the right coaching? So it's the hardest thing Absolutely. about this. <laughs> yep, you got it. All right, well, cool. We uh, we are done with the combine. We'll get into some pro days. We got some interviews lined up. They all kind of gotten pushed around because of the combine and senior bowl and how close those things were together. But got some interviews coming. Um, and we're going to continue to talk the draft. We're going to continue to talk about the Cowboys. And we're going to continue to talk about it all on the Talk in the Draft podcast. Uh, make sure you return next week and we'll, uh, we'll have some more draft content and Cowboys content for you. Thank you guys so much for listening. See you then.